Oh, Valentine's Day. That special day when we make that special effort to say to that special someone, I love you. You know, it really gets hard for me, though, because gifts are expected. And you know how I struggle with getting gifts from my wife. Uh, but I have to say, this year she um, made it real easy for me. A couple of weeks ago, she sent me an email, and she said, just get me this. And all I had to do was click, boom, and it was ordered. But I have to say that that seemed still a little impersonal, you know, that didn't really come from my heart. And so I was thinking, okay, now how else can I tell her that I love her? What, what words could I use? And then I thought, why not go to the best source of words and love? The scriptures. And there in the book of the Song of Solomon is all sorts of wonderful expressions of love. You see, the book, The Song of Solomon, is actually a love poem. So it's actually a series of poems uh, that King Solomon wrote expressing his love for his bride and then words that she wrote expressing her love for King Solomon. And so I thought, well, you know, it's God's word. There's got to be some good statements in there. So I'll just pick out a few statements and, you know, maybe put some pictures to it to reflect what the words are saying. And that'll be a real nice Valentine. So here's what I came up with. How pleasant and how fair my beloved is to me. You're beautiful, my love. So pleasant and so fair. Pretty good, huh? You're a lily among the thorns. Your eyes are like a dove's, and your hair a flock of goats. Your neck is a mighty tower, and your teeth a flock of sheep. Oh, where is my love gone? Where do you keep your flocks? How pleasant and how fair my beloved is to me. I better stick with Hallmark, huh? <laughs> well, I share those verses with you because that's the way Old Testament poetry is sometimes. It's, it's very symbolic, very picturesque. They use a, a lot of words to try to picture the truths of, of what they believe or what they see. And as you can see there, it's a, a little bit different than how we might express things. But that doesn't change what the Book of Solomon is. It is a wonderful valentine, we might say, an expression of love. But it's not just an expression of love between a man and a wife. It's also the expression of God's love for us and our love for God. Now, some might wonder how that can be, especially when God isn't even mentioned in there. But Jesus said, all Scripture testifies to him. And the book, the Song of Solomon, or sometimes called the Song of Songs, the best one there is, was in Jesus' Bible. So Jesus is telling us this book talks about him. And indeed, in many places of the Bible, God talks about the relationship that we have with him as being a marriage, where he is the groom and we are the bride. And so today, 
I want to share with you a portion from the book, The Song of Solomon, as, as we look at God's love for us and express our love to Him, and we can just summarize it with the phrase, I love you, Lord. The, the words that we're going to hear again are, are somewhat picturesque, symbolic, and, and sometimes you're going to have to really sit and, and, and think about them to understand what the message is. We sometimes uh, will see different pictures or paintings of Jesus, and all of them look so different, you know? And we don't know exactly how Jesus looked, but we see how this artist perceives him. And that's what these words are, are doing also, giving us different perspectives on who God is and what his love is like. That section that I'm going to share with you today starts out like this. The one who loves me is tanned and handsome. He's the finest man among 10,000. He's saying he is really it. He's the best one. There's nobody else like him. None compare. He's extraordinary. Are you familiar with the hymn, Beautiful Savior? Probably. The composer of that hymn was inspired by this verse to write that hymn that talks about Jesus being fairer and brighter than anything else we experience. He is indeed the best. So let's go on and see how he describes Jesus' love for us as being the very best. Now again, the language is going to be kind of symbolic, but I'll lead you through to see five important points about God's love for us. His head is like the purest gold. His hair is wavy and as black as a raven. His eyes are like doves by streams of water. They look as if they've been washed in milk. They are set like jewels in his head. Now what's he talking about? He's describing his head and his hair and his eyes. When we think about that portion of a person, we think about what they're thinking about, their head, their brain. In other parts of Scripture, when it describes God, like in the book of Revelation, when it describes him as, as being white-haired and his eyes are like blazing like fire, what, that, what is that doing is simply describing his wisdom and his knowledge. One way in which we see God's love acted out for us is in his wisdom and his knowledge and how it's working in my life. Now, wisdom, that's, that's planning and, and putting things together and, and working all things out. We see God's wisdom, for example, in this creation, in this world, how God marvelously put everything together that it works so wonderfully and so well. But we also are reminded from Scripture of God's working in what we call history how he was involved with, with the placement, with the rising and the falling of, of nations and people, which was all part of his grand plan for us human beings. And speaking of that grand plan, his wisdom perhaps is best seen in his plan of salvation for us. That plan that calls for him to give up his own son, who would come into this world and would take our place, take our place under the laws of God, living them perfectly for us, take our place under the wrath of God to suffer the punishment 
for our sins, to take our place in the grave and to show his power over death. That's God's wisdom working. We could not have come up with that. That's the perfect plan for our salvation. The scriptures also tell us about God's wisdom in in working in our life and planning out our life. It tells us that God has predestined us to come to, to be adopted as his children. That means that God planned out every aspect of our life to bring us into his family and now to keep us in his family. Oh, the marvelous wisdom and depths of the knowledge of God. His knowledge is so deep. He knows not just so much, he knows everything. Nothing escapes his attention. He knows about the condition of every cell in our body. He knows about every desire in our heart. He knows about every thought in man's mind. He knows about our sins. He even knows the plans of the wicked. Now we might wonder, with knowing those bad things, how he's going to react and and how he's going to handle all of that. But the next verses remind us something else about his love. Listen to him. His cheeks are like beds of spice, giving off perfume. His lips are like lilies, dripping with myrrh. He's focusing our attention now on the person's face. You can tell a lot by looking at a person's face, can't you? You know, if they're smiling, if they're happy, if they're frowning, if they're sad, if they're angry. And he describes it here in in terms of fragrance, perfume, and, and spices, all these sweet smells, all these aromas that are lofting around and that, and that we breathe in and are pleased by them. What he's simply describing here is what we would call his grace. Jesus was called that sweet-smelling sacrifice for God. His grace is sweet-smelling to us too. It's, it's the life-giving oxygen that we need. Now you think about something that's got a nice fragrance or aroma to it, whether it's a, you know, a candle or a flower or somebody's cologne or perfume. It's not that you have evoked that wonderful smell out of it. In other words, you don't walk past something and all of a sudden the smell comes out, except for a skunk. No, that, that smell is just coming out on its own. It's just a natural part of that thing. And so it is with God's grace. There's nothing we do that elicits God's grace toward us. There's nothing that we do to activate it. It's unconditional. And it's unending. God's undying love for us is best demonstrated in his dying for us. That's his grace. And And like somebody who has a strong perfume or cologne on, or or maybe a candle that gives off a scent or or flowers. It just permeates the whole area. So God's grace just permeates into every aspect of our life. See how much God loves you? You can just breathe it in and enjoy it. Now he goes on. His arms are like rods of gold set with topaz. His body is like polished ivory decorated with lapis lazuli. His legs are like pillars of marble set on bases of pure gold. 
Now he's talking about, or she is talking about his body, his arms, his, his chest, and his legs. All those things that we would equate with somebody's ability to do something, uh, their strength. She describes them, though, with, with words like gold and topaz and lapis lazuli and marble, all, all these fine stones to indicate how beautiful they are and how enduring they are. So you put all that together, and what he's telling us is God's love for us is seen in his caring and faithful strength. Think of the Lord's arm. How strong it is. How nothing can defeat it. Think of his hands and how loving and quick they are to respond to someone's need for healing, for encouragement, for a pickup, for a hug. We think of legs and feet quick to go to somebody's side for aid. How quick our Lord is to come to us when we call on him. And how stable and faithful that love is. We might get bumped around in life. We might experience some, some knockdowns, but there'll be nothing that can knock down God's love. There's nothing that can separate us from his love. Look at God working in your life, and you will see his caring and faithful strength. She goes on, he says, He looks like the finest cedar tree in the mountains of Lebanon. Look at those mountains, how majestic they look, and those tall, beautiful trees. What she's simply describing here is the majesty of God. How majestic is our God in all the earth? There is nothing above him. There is nothing more beautiful or powerful or loving than him. Indeed, he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Our, our attention a lot is being focused on politics these days. And, you know, there's little apprehension about who might be our next leader. And, and now with one of the Supreme Court justices dying, you know, oh no, what direction is the court going to take? Remember, God is above them all. He is the King and the Lord and the ruler above them all. He is majestic. And we are blessed to be the people of His hand the people who live in his kingdom. One more quality. His mouth is very sweet. Everything about him is delightful. That's what the one who loves me is like. That's what my friend is like, women of Jerusalem. Look at your God. He says, look at his mouth. And not so much the shape of his mouth, but look what comes out, the sweetness that comes out. You know, on Valentine's Day, we like to give that candy, right? Make it sweet. In fact, we have a little candy we're going to hand out to you at the end of church today. It has a little Bible message on it. What's sweet that comes out from God's mouth is his words. His words of life. Words that tell us, you're forgiven. Words that tell us, you are my child forever. Look at how God loves you. How I now love the Lord. Someone might look at that list and, and just like we, we hear of a, a bride talking about her groom and, and wonder, yeah, well, that's a lot of emotion. They're just kind of caught up in the moment. Just wait. Light, real life will set in and she'll change her mind. 
Are these words of just some emotional bride describing her, her wonderful-looking groom? No. These words are faithful and true. In fact, they are our words because we have experienced that love of God. And we are the bride of Christ. That's what came out in that reading we heard a few minutes ago from Paul as he was teaching husbands and wives about marriage. Did you see how he talked about our relationship with God? Look at those words again. He says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. When you're loved like that, the expression of your love about your God isn't just some emotional experience. It's the truth that God has convinced you of and that you believe. Now, Sometimes when we, we see couples who uh, are getting married or, or are, are together, we wonder, you know, well, what do they see in each other? <laughs> and by that we mean, you know, they're, they're so different from each other. And then we're reminded of the saying, well, you know, opposites attract. <laughs> and that is so true in our relationship with Jesus. Opposites attract. Jesus is so opposite from us. He's perfect and sinless. And we are so sinful and unfaithful. He is the holy God. And we are these weak human beings. But in him we see and have true love. We see how he is our opposite in the sense that he complements us. That is, he completes us. Because he has been our substitute in life and in death. In him we have perfect life and perfect love. But here's something that's even more amazing. We're attracted to him because he's our opposite. You know what? He's attracted to us despite the fact that we are so opposite. Why? How? Because of his everlasting love, grace. Listen how the Apostle James expresses that. Do you think it's without reason that the Scripture says that the Spirit who lives in us yearns jealously, but he gives greater grace? That's right, God is jealous for us. He does not want to lose us, and therefore he keeps giving us grace upon grace upon grace to keep us as his forever. Now that is true love. Now sometimes in human relationships, love falters and fails, and there are problems that come up in relationships. And sometimes we might even wonder if, if a relationship is going to make it. Could that be with our relationship with God? We know that God will always be faithful and forgiving no matter what. That's a certainty. His love for us will never change. But our love for Him sometimes will falter. Falter. 
Sometimes it will fail. Sometimes we will be selfish. Sometimes we won't be very loving or concerned about others. Sometimes we will put other things in our life before Him. But He will always be faithful to us. So whenever we falter or fail, let's just go back and look at His love. Because when we see His unfailing love, then we know we can love Him again. We see how He loves us. Now, how do I love Him? Well, we go back to those words that we heard earlier, Jesus' words when He was asked, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus says, it's to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the greatest commandments. And there we have a simple guide for us on how to show our love for the Lord, starting with our heart. The love that we have in our heart for the Lord and then demonstrated in our love for others is not just an emotion, though. It's not just a gushy, warm, or excited feeling. It's to be an attitude and an action. That's what God's love is for us. And that's what he calls us to demonstrate in loving others. Hear the words from the very familiar and famous were a chapter on love from St. Paul, 1 Corinthians 13. Listen how he describes love as an attitude and an action, not just a feeling. He says, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Now what standard, what can we use to measure our, our love, our attitudes and our actions? I would say it's loyalty putting God and others before ourselves, Isn't that how God started out the commandments for us? You shall have no other gods before me. Luther said that means we should fear, love, and trust in him above all things. We know that times we've failed, though, when we have put other things before him in our life, when we have let fears and doubt come in instead of trust. But you look back at his love, and it then draws love again out of you for him. Loyalty to others. God wants us to express that love, that loyalty to those he has put in our life, to our, our spouses, to our family, to our friends, to our church family members. Again, maybe we falter, but we can do better looking at his love and encouragement. And in this regard, I want to do something. I want to, I want to help our families more at our church here. And so there's a, a marriage program that we would like to start here, but, 
before we get going into it, I, I need to try a few things, and so I'm looking for a few um, guinea pigs. Uh, I need uh, about five or six couples, married couples, to help me with a, a marriage inventory. It's only going to take about an hour of your time. You can do it online uh, and then sit down with me so we can evaluate it. And, and if we find that it's a helpful tool, then I want to be able to make it available to others in the family. So uh, I need a variety of married couples, some who have been married for just a, a short time and some who have been married like forever. Um, but uh, we, I need, so if you're interested in doing that, if you want to be a guinea pig for me, uh, I appreciate that. Just let me know and uh, I'll tell you what we, we can do. But we need to work at making our love for one another stronger and more faithful. Love the Lord with your heart. And he said, with your mind. Now, what do you do with your mind besides lose it sometimes? Well, you use your mind to think, don't you? To look at things, to understand them, to, to know about them and to appreciate them. We might use the word admiration. God wants us to look at him and admire him, to appreciate and understand all that he does. Now, how do we do that? with the scriptures, because that's where God comes to us. And so we have opportunity as we, as we read our devotions, as, as we read our scriptures, as we come to Bible classes, as you get books out of our library or our bookstore, as you talk with other Christians. That's how God is going to reveal himself to you. And, and the more you start to see God working in your life and admire him, then you're going to be moved to adoration. That is, praising him. To, to lifting him up, to valuing him and expressing that value. Praise or, or adoration of God, again, is, is not just some feeling of excitement. The scriptures tell us that worshiping God comes in spirit and in truth. It's with sincerity of your heart. Now, what do you look for in worship? What do you give in worship? Give your heart, give your mind as you adore and admire who God is and what he does. And then he says, love the Lord your God with all your strength, meaning what you're going to do. So it starts with your heart, it's in your mind, and now you're going to turn it into action. And that means our will has to be involved with that. And it begins with submission. Remember the words of Jesus, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Sometimes we have to take that will of ours and put it in submission to God. That's what he was talking about again when he was describing the relationship of husband and wife. He said, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That is in submission to his will. Wives, he said, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Submission here simply means to put yourself under the will and authority of somebody else. It doesn't mean you're inferior, but you recognize that you are there to serve. You are there to experience the blessings that come from the other person. We maybe call it surrendering. That doesn't mean you've lost but you see that the best thing is to experience the blessings in following God's will. 
Doesn't God tell us that very thing? Solomon, in one of his other books, tells us, here's the whole duty, the whole purpose of your life. It's to fear God and love his commands. One of those commands is that we serve others. And that's what Paul was talking about. Marriage provides that unique opportunity. But so does any relationship we have provide that opportunity for us to serve the needs of others. God has put us in relationship for that very purpose, to show love, service. Well, this worship service is just about over. Hold your applause down. But our service to God is unending. When we leave here today, our service is not over. It's just starting. How will you do? What will you do? Today it's Valentine's Day. Maybe you have some special plans to express your love in a special way to that special someone. But whatever you do, don't let it stop today. Keep showing unending love to God and unending love to others. All with this thought in mind. How I love you, Lord. Amen.